Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. Um, if you have a Bible, you can open it once again. And I say once again because we are continuing in Acts chapter 2. Last week, we took a little bit of time in order to set the necessary context for the way that we were going to come in to Acts chapter 2. And these verses that have become incredibly familiar to most, um, and at times that we've just become very desensitized because of the seeming redundancy uh, of these verses. In Acts chapter 2, we have what is referenced towards the end of Acts 2 as a commitment, a devotion, a daily conviction, which more than those things, it was a way of life. And it was a way of life that we have communicated to us here. When we look at Acts chapter 2, which again, I, I have actual pages here. Acts chapter 2 says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now I have it in the NASB version uh, I know that there are a variety of translations that all read slightly different um, depending on what is your preference of translation, uh, whether it be devotion or study or, or what have you. Um, but the idea here that is communicated across every translation is that this was a way of life and it was something that they were given over to. They were committed to it. We know that this way of life by the implications of the way that Acts chapter 2 is communicating to us. This way of life was the byproduct of their response to Peter's preaching, which was the announcement of the gospel. So this way of life flowed out of a heart response that said, my heart has been pierced. I can now see God's purposes in the person of Jesus. The Holy Spirit has made it real enough to me so that I can now give my life in response to the things that have been revealed, in response to the things that I now know, in response to the things that I have heard. My heart has been so impacted, I must do something about it. This, this was their question once Peter was preaching. They said, and if you're familiar with the setting of Acts 1 and Acts 2, uh, then you know as we're tracking with the story. Peter stands up to preach. They've had the upper room experience. They've been with Jesus for 40 straight days. A man who is alive from the dead. Jesus has been resurrected. He has defeated death. He has defeated sin and hell. He is alive. And with many convincing proofs over a period of 40 days, he was with them, teaching them about the kingdom. From here, the cloud grabs him. He ascends into the heavens. 
The angels tell the disciples, the same way you saw him go is the same way that he shall return. They are huddled. They are gathered in the upper room. Days go by as they are praying, fasting, waiting on God. The Holy Spirit visits them suddenly. There's wind, there's fire. They are then ushered out into the streets where there is now chaos, right? What God was doing with them in an upper room ushered them out into the streets. They were now on display before the rest of the world. There was, yes, a manifest demonstration that put them out into the streets, out into a public arena where they were now on display before the rest of the world. And things got a little confusing. People didn't understand. Some were criticizing. Others were mocking that there were insults and things of that nature. Man, they're drunk. And in the midst of all of this, Peter stands up and he declares, no, this is that. And he begins to preach. And he preaches the gospel. And he talks of this crucified Jesus. This man whom God has now appointed to be the judge of all things. And that though he was crucified, though he was buried, though he was left for dead, that God has raised him, that he is alive, that he has overcome. He has ascended and he will return. And Peter says, ready yourselves for the king will come again. And in response, they say, what must we do? I can't just hear everything I've heard and then continue to act the way that I want to act. I can't just know God's desires. I can't just have what is burning in God's heart revealed and then just continue on living any way that I want to live. I can't do that because of what I've now heard. It has put a demand on my heart and on my life and everything is on the table and everything must be evaluated and whatever needs to be rearranged must be rearranged so that my life now can bear witness. The way that I live can live as an amen to the things that I know I believe because what I believe are the things that God has revealed. And now my life is being synchronized with what I know is God's desire. Desires. My response to the gospel actually has to be lived out in a particular way. And this is what we have. In Acts chapter 2, these, this verse, which leads into several other verses that closes out the book of Acts in chapter 2. This verse is in a steady flow. There's no interruption. There's no change of chapter, even though we realize uh, we very much so understand that chapters and things of that nature were added in much later. The way that it's broken up um, for ease of attention and even, you know, as reading and flow and all of these things. Um, but this is one continual thought or one continual flow. And there are implications here. And we created a framework to understand the implications last week. And that is this. 
their response to the gospel put them into a certain way of life together. The byproduct of the way they had given themselves to Jesus created a lifestyle that was now going to be the best way to steward that response. That lifestyle was going to be the best way in order for God to develop them the way that he desired. That lifestyle was going to be the prescription to produce a powerful people. That lifestyle is God's recipe to get the results that God is after. That lifestyle was now the container where their lives would be baptized or immersed into. They were baptized into a way of life. They were immersed into a way of life. And this way of life was the secret sauce. It was the setup. It was the way that God was going to be able to do everything that he longed to do to have the people that he knows is possible. And this is the point. This is the point. Their response to the gospel now did not create some self-absorbed, consumer-driven approach where their own evaluation was what was going to be the governor on how they now could walk out the things that God had worked in the best way as they wanted to. This is not at all what happened. The implications in Acts chapter 2 is for all of you that have responded to Jesus the right way, this is now what your life is supposed to look like. And Acts gives us that. And it's actually, it's actually very simple. It's so simple that it's offensive. But just because it's simple does not mean that it's not weighty. It's simple and it's weighty. It's simple, yet it's value. It's simple, yet it's God's secret sauce, so to speak, if we could use those terms. There was a way of life that came out of a response. And once again, we're, we're building something because this is the beauty. Acts 2 gives us the idea of what their life looked like, what the undercurrent looked like, what the behind the scenes, so to speak. Um, but as you begin to track from Acts 3 forward, you have the out in the open. You have the public display. You have the real-time demonstration. Um, and, and we see that as we begin tracking you know, from Acts 3 forward. And, and I know we took time last week in order to highlight certain individuals, being Peter and John and then Stephen, and you know, even a, a quick reference of Ananias and Sapphira and, and what was happening in that situation. Um, because we need to do the necessary evaluation because that is what Acts affords us. Acts gives us the opportunity to evaluate in real time what happens as a consequence of giving our lives to the lifestyle that God has designed. Acts gives us the ability to observe and measure the lives of those who have been given over by way of a response to the gospel to the recipe to the way, 
to the lifestyle, to the design, to covenant loyalty to Jesus, covenant loyalty to others. The Acts 2.42 prescription, there is actually a time that we are able to perceive or evaluate the observables and the measurables of what type of person actually gets produced when we give our lives to this prescription. And as we said last week, there's going to have to come a moment where we make the consideration, how are we building and why are we building? Are we honestly building something that God wants? Or are we building something that we want? We live in a day where, especially in the West, we are so oversaturated with entertainment. With entertainment, there's hype and attraction and draw. There's power and influence and prestige and fame. There's notoriety. All of these things are very real in the time that we are living. And to try and act as if these things are not so would be completely foolish. Um, Would be completely foolish. Um, Social media has just become another way for if there's any ounce of self-absorption that's alive on the inside, social media has just given you a platform, an outlet. It has provided you with the proper channeling to the rest of the world, instant access at any moment. You can either put something up or go live and have a platform that has been afforded to you. And if there's any ounce of social or of self-absorption that's alive on the inside, Um, Social media has become a way now where exactly what we're talking about, entertainment, hype, fame, notoriety, influence, um, all of these things um, are being leveraged, they're being manipulated, Um, but it's not there alone. Hollywood, the music industry, mainstream media and things of that nature, all of these things have so conditioned us over time in order by way of oversaturation to believe that this is the way, this is what we desire, this is the demand that really like resides deeply on the inside. We are attracted to those that bear influence, to those who have a way of entertaining, to those who have this attraction about them because of power or persona. And these things are not new. Right. Even as we make the association with the church, these things are not new. Paul communicated to the Corinthians. He said, I hear that some of you are saying that like you're of Apollos, you're of Cephas. Man, like what is happening? Like what is going on where the demand, the desire, the draw on the inside, we're we're being lured by way of attraction, whatever it is that may be housed, that may be alive, that may reside on the inside, that creates some sort of magnetic pull towards a certain person or style or persona or flavor or stream, whatever it is that is alive on the inside that is drawing you. Um, So we, we understand in a very real way that we live in a moment where entertainment It governs. Um, Entertainment governs. Attraction governs. 
Um, that there are very real motivations that are alive and that are creating the desire for an experience. Um, and this is what Acts gives us. Acts gives us a way that God prescribes. And then he gives us the proper time, having given our lives to the way that he said is the right way. It's his wisdom. And after a time, because this is what Jesus said, wisdom shall be known by her children. After a time, we get to evaluate what God's way actually produces. But we also get to do the same thing in our own lives and with the things that we are building. After a time, we get to evaluate what it is that what we said was wisdom is actually building, what it's actually producing. And the answer is not just more of what might not be right in an attempt to reach the right conclusion. Um, the answer is not, well, just more, even though to whatever degree our setup, our system, our way has prescribed might not necessarily have been producing. The, the way out of that evaluation is not to just consider that possibly more of what's not the way or not right is going to eventually over time arrive at the right conclusion. That, that's not where we need to go with the evaluation. But Acts affords us the opportunity to evaluate. And this is something that we have to consider because if we do not like the results of what we are getting by what we are prescribing, then eventually we have to bring proper evaluation to what we are prescribing because God's prescription produces the product that God desires. His way is his recipe in order to get the results that he is looking for. And as we said last week, Acts is not history alone, but Acts is also prophecy. And Acts gives us a look at a family, a family that God invaded, a family that God dwelled in the midst of. Lives that were knit together. This would be Paul's language later in Ephesians chapter 2. Lives that were knit together by the Spirit. And it actually created an abiding place. A place of habitation for God himself. He was in the midst of them. And there was a real time demonstration of that actually being real that affected everything about them and everything around them. This is what Acts gives us. Acts gives us a picture of God's family repopulating cities, regions, and nations. And what happens when that family lives in the lifestyle that God prescribes, there is a power, there is a demonstration, there is an actual effect that that family, when given over to God's recipe, his prescription, 
his way of life. There is an evaluation that Acts gives us. This is the type of people that you get whenever you rally people to this way of life. And it gives us a picture of a family that God was in the midst of. And and this is going to seem super simple and really basic, but this is what Acts tells us, is that God inhabited a family. He inhabited a family. You see, we we have a challenge in our day, uh, depending on the way that you define church. For some, church is an event. It's something that you attend. It's a two-hour window, an hour and a half window, a 60-minute window, um, depending on the style of event that you attend. Um, For some, it's a three, four, five-hour window. Again, depending on stylistically, the way that you are attempting to put these events together, depending on the way you are attempting to host these gatherings of sorts. Um, But for some, the church is defined as an event. And the definition matters. The, The definition really matters. Because if you define church as an event then the event itself will be what you feel like you're accountable to. It will be what you cherish. It will be what you prioritize. It will be what you rally all of your attention and resources and personnel towards. If church is an event, then the majority of our attention will be fixed. It will be taken up with how we can do these events better and then at times how we can do more of these said events. That is if church is defined as an event. When church is defined as an event, it's something that you host, because again, it's an event. It's a time slot where you put together a type of experience and people now attend that experience. Church is something that happens because it's an event. And when it's not happening, then it's not happening because the event is over. And if that event occupies a 60 minute time slot, a 90 minute time slot, a two hour time slot, again, a three, four, five hour time slot, whatever the time slot may be, church is something that happens within the boundaries of that particular time slot. Whenever that said event or experience is actually taking place, And when that experience is taking place, it is something that you rally people into in order for them to attend. And then their participation has been predetermined. It's been predetermined because again, it's an event and events at times can be risky depending upon the amount of participation that you've already determined is what you are going to allow people. Um, So so I get it. I, I understand all of that. Right, We host different styles of gatherings and so on and so forth too. But when church is fundamentally and primarily defined as an event, these are the types of conversations that we have. These are the types of conversations that we have. Because again, church is something that happens and you want to make sure that people are present when church is happening. It's an event. And we have forfeited much because we have chosen in large part to define church as an event 
And, and maybe, maybe you've not ever thought about it. Maybe this is not even a question that you've even ever considered because it's just what culturally has been given to you. Uh, maybe you just, you were born in it, you were raised in it, right? To this, Peter offers a suggestion in 1 Peter 1. He says, you weren't redeemed with perishable things, silver and gold. He said, but with a precious blood. And he says, that precious blood in 1 Peter 1 verse 18, he says, has actually redeemed you, but it has set you free from empty man-made traditions that have been handed down to you by your forefathers. There must come a time where we do the necessary evaluation. And the question can no longer be, how do we do this better or more? The question at a certain point has to be, is this even what we are supposed to be doing? Meaning, is this really the way? Is what we are building actually what God desires and the way that he fully develops on fire, powerful witnesses and living demonstrations, radically aligned with him, radically aligned with his purposes. Are we getting that as a result or as a consequence of what it is that we are funneling people into? All of how we are channeling people into the systems, the constructs, the way of life that we have supposed is the way that God desires to develop these witnesses because this is what God is after. God is after a family that would repopulate cities, regions, nations that would be on fire, that would live in power, that would be a demonstration and bring an announcement in their generation. This is what Acts is communicating to us that is possible when we give ourselves to the way of life that God prescribes. And if we are not getting these type of people, Oh, well, you know, you don't understand. Uh, it's easier just to shame people because they don't attend enough gatherings. It's easier just to criticize them because, well, you know, they only come twice a month. And if they were to come four times a month, or if they were to come every Sunday, or if they were to add the men's breakfast, or if they were to add, you know, and on and on and on it goes. On and on and on it goes because when we are predetermined that we have satisfied our lives with our system, even if our system is not producing the results that Acts is describing, then we have to find a way rather than shifting internally the definitions fundamentally. We will find a way to shift the blame. And the blame and the concern always seems to fall on the effort of the people. You've been a part of these conversations just as much as I have. It always shifts onto the people rather than the system itself. And Acts gives us a system of sorts. It's a way of life that if you would give yourself to this way of life, these are the types of people that get created out of this way of life. Now, we can continue in our own attempt, in our own effort to build systems and structures that are driven and financed on entertainment and attraction 
and, and we can continue to satisfy our hearts and our lives with what it is that culturally, again, what it is even worldly, that is the desire or the demand. But at the end of the day, it's not the world's desires that are going to produce the people that God desires. And there has to come a moment where we ask ourselves, they may be entertained, but are they being transformed? Are we actually, as a result of what we're building and giving our lives to, are we seeing these types of disciples? Because again, Acts gives us time where we can observe, meaning we can watch people live and then we can measure, meaning we can come to conclusions based off of the evaluation in real time of how they are living, what their life in God actually looks like as it is being lived. And this is what Acts communicates when you start in chapter three, moving forward, right? You have, you have a people that though governmental systems oppose them, hostile, wicked, corrupt leaders are against them. Systems of the world, tyrannical systems are seeking to find them out and punish them wherever they may be. You have a people that are walking in power, a people that are walking in boldness, a people that are given over to a certain way of life in God, covenant loyalty to Jesus and covenant loyalty to others. You have a family unit that is planted in cities and regions that yes, are walking in demonstration. There's signs, wonders, miracles. There's real glory and a sense of God moving and working on their behalf. But you have, no matter the consequences, a people that have a conviction that this is the way that we have given ourselves over to. And again, you have this confrontation when Peter and John stand before the Sanhedrin and the Pharisaical leaders in Acts chapter four. And what is the evaluation from the system, from the worldly way of governing man's design desires, which is built off of externals and attraction? What is the evaluation? The system says to Peter and John, we've never seen anything like you. These men are unlearned. They're not trained. They don't have the same upbringing, the same pedigree. They've not been through the same system. They don't have all of what it is that we use as leverage by way of creating images and externals. They don't have all of what the system has said was the way, but it's undeniable. It's undeniable. Man, they've been with him. They look like him. We can see him in them. This is, it is a moment of evaluation and it is a moment of confrontation. It is a moment of evaluation and it is a moment of confrontation because the results are facing off. The product that both ways that were called wisdom, the results have an intersection. 
the results are having a face-off. And those who were living the way that God said was the way in order for a powerful people to be developed were now facing off with the system. And the system had a testimony. We've never been able to produce something like you. Right? Then we move forward and we find again in Acts 5. But there's something that I want to highlight here. We find in Acts 5 a man who, this is the way that one chapter ends and the next chapter begins. We find that a man by the name of Barnabas, who is a Levite from Cyprus, sold a property and brought all of the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. And then we immediately have him contrasted, if you would, with a couple, Ananias and Sapphira, who sold a property and who brought a portion of the money and laid it down, yet created the image, created a story by way of them wanting to be associated with the real thing, but knowing that there wasn't real authenticity in the way that they were actually living it out. And they brought a portion of the money and laid it down. It's interesting to me that Acts communicates to us that Barnabas is a Levite. Because there are special things that the scriptures communicate about Levites. Yeah, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, 8 and 9, we know that the tribe of Levi was called. They were a peculiar people who had a unique responsibility to stand before the Lord, to behold him continually, to minister to him in his temple, and then to represent him to others. But we also know that in Numbers 18, verse 20, that the tribe of Levi had a charge on them. And it was this, they shall have no allotment or no material possession like the other tribes. They shall have no land. There will be nothing that is designated to them here materially now in this moment in this life for I will be their portion. And it's interesting to me that Barnabas, again, one who was living according to the way, he brings his property. He brings his allotment. He brings his portion. All of what can be had, can be known, all of what can be now enjoyed in this life. And he brings it and he sells it off. You can have this. And he brings the proceeds and he lays it down at the feet of the apostles. Almost as if to once again bear witness that there actually are a type of people that can live this way. There are a people who can fall out of love with the world and its things. So much so that their enjoyment in being radically aligned to God is the thing that will govern their life. There will be no other. There will be no portion. There will be nothing that you can sway them with. No desire that you can lure them with there is nothing more attractive than God himself and being given over to God himself and Barnabas brings all of what this life represents 
my portion in this life, you can have it. I will give it because I've given myself to him. Um, This way of life, the implications, this way of life is actually producing a people that have not fallen more in love with the world, but it's producing a people that are falling out of love with the world because they have been so radically given over to God's dream. And they've been so radically given over to seeing God's dream realized in the moment of history or in their hour of history that they are responsible for. I will give it all to see God have what he wants in this moment where my life is going to be accountable. I will sell it all. You can have it all. Take the world, but give me Jesus and whatever I must do in order to more fully align my life with the dream that God has in my lifetime. I will give it. I will sow it. You can have it because my life has been given to him. That The implications is that this way of life is actually raising up a people that are no longer taken over by a love of the world that now creates governors limitations and now builds systems where their desires and their demands must be satisfied materially according to the world and its definitions but now they've been satisfied in god and because they've been satisfied in god there is no limitation they are no longer bound but they are free and they are powerful because they are free. Barnabas says, have everything that is mine. Because you have me, you have everything that belongs to me. You have access to everything that's connected to me. You see, Barnabas, it's actually pretty amazing if we contrast him with the rich young ruler. Um, Barnabas says, everything I have in this life, I will give. For I know that God is on a mission in this life. And I will be rewarded to the degree that my life has been aligned with the mission that God is on. And then in the life that is to come is where I will have my real reward. I forsake things now to lay hold of things on that great day. I may seem to lose now but I'm setting up a win in the age to come. I may now seem to live in a way that is counter to the culture, but that's okay because the culture is not who I'm trying to be applauded by. It's Jesus. The culture is not where I find my reward. It's with Jesus. The culture and its likes and follows and subscribes is not ultimately what seeks to authorize the way that I live my life, but it's Jesus. And so even if the world may not seem to follow along, there's one person that I'm actually and really into interested in liking and following and subscribing and it's Jesus again if you haven't gotten that yet but so Barnabas gives us a wild picture of a man that's been processed by a way of life but it's held up against again if if we make this association in Mark chapter 10 with a man who is referenced as rich young and powerful right everything that the world desires rich, 
young, again, maybe youthful vitality, if you would. He's rich. He's young. Vitality, strength. And he's a ruler. He's rich. He's powerful. And he owns a lot of property. And when Jesus invites him, right, he doesn't do what most of us would do. But, but again, that's because Jesus has higher standards than most of us. Um, and because we are at times trying to satisfy our system or leverage things against um, our own mission because of our system, um, we would not necessarily be as lovingly confrontational the way that Jesus is. Uh, but again, that's because Jesus has higher standards at times than we do, but that's because he understands what's possible and he's not thinking in the same terms as the rest of the world is because the world has a certain demand because a world has a certain way that it's satisfied. Um, and Jesus confronts this man and he tells him after the evaluation, what must I do to inherit eternal life, right? The problem is first and foremost, it starts with him. Um, what must I do? And Jesus says, okay, I'm glad you've done these things, right? There's an initial test, but he says, go and sell all your stuff and give the money to the poor, right? And then come back and follow me. And it says that the man thought about the cost, the weight of the consequences that he would experience. And he intentionally after considering the invitation, turned away from Jesus and walked away from him. He was sad because he owned a lot of property in this life. Another translation says he owned a lot of real estate. Um, the idea is that his sense or source of satisfaction was found here materially. It was found here in the definitions and satisfactions that the world system has created. Um, Barnabas is an interesting contrast because we find a man who is free. Um, I, I think we all, we carry this, this longing on the inside to be free. I think we all know it's possible. I think we all know it's possible and we all, we all want it. Um, and Barnabas doesn't only show us that it's possible, um, but he shows us that, that a way of life actually is where it's produced. It's where it's manufactured, right? Because again, um, we are making the claim that Acts gives us the idea that church for them was not simply an event. Because the definition in our day and time is that church is an event. But church is not an event. Church is a family. Church is a people. And the church doesn't belong to the world. It belongs to Jesus. The church doesn't belong to the government. It belongs to Jesus. The church doesn't belong to the 501c3. It belongs to Jesus. The church doesn't belong to an order of service. The church belongs to Jesus. The church doesn't belong to a denomination. The church belongs 
to Jesus. Um, the idea of church did not start with man, and that's why it doesn't belong to any of these other things. The idea of church starts with Jesus, and Jesus is the first man to say the word church, and that's in Matthew chapter 16. But he will not say church until a people say king. When they say king, he says church. And upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church upon a people. The bedrock of the church is a people that carry the revelation that Jesus is king, that he is enthroned above all things. This is the people that Jesus said are his church. They're the people that belong to him. And this church is what he said is his bride. And his spirit is what is readying this people in order to be married to him forever. In the last days, Revelation twenty-two seventeen, the spirit and the bride will say, come. This bride is a people. This people is a church. This church is a family. And so it's important with the way that we are building, that we start where Jesus starts. Um, because if it's his, and ultimately if it's unto him, then we should build what he wants. Um, we can't build what we want and then assume that somewhere along the way, it's just going to match his desires. Where we start fundamentally actually matters. Um, and the church is a family. Um, and and now, now hear me though, because that family may host events. I have no problem with that. No problem with that whatsoever. And it's not even like you should care if I have a problem with that. Um, because my opinion isn't what matters. Um, it's Jesus's opinion. Um, but this is his opinion. The church is a family. This is what the scriptures actually tell us. The church is a family. And now that family may host events. But without those events, that family is still a family. And it still has a very real identity. It still has a very real power. It still has a very real purpose. And this is why it matters the way that you set them up, meaning the words and the associations. Um, because you may host events, but you might not always get family. You may host events, but the hosting of those events is not an automatic guarantee that you're always going to get family. And so if the prescription is just more events, then you might not necessarily ever come to the consequence or the conclusion of family. Um, we all understand. Um, you can theologically be family. You can stand in the same building with somebody else for 15 years. Um, as a matter of fact, you may not even necessarily know a lot of the other folks that you're standing in the building with. But theologically, I get it because we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ and we're family and, and I get all of that. So theologically, we may be family. But formationally, experientially, practically, are we becoming family? So if the prescription is more events, but events will not necessarily always lead us to family, then I feel we have a kink in the chain and there's an issue. But if we start with family and if our commitment is to a certain way of life, because again, um, I love the t-shirt by Art of Homage. Shout out to Art of Homage. Love you guys. Love everything you're doing. The t-shirt that says Jesus is bigger than Sunday. 
Let, let, let me encourage you. Jesus is bigger than the events you host. Jesus is bigger than your 60-minute time block. He's bigger than your 90-minute time block. He's bigger than your two-hour time block. He's bigger than uh, you know, your three, four, five-hour time block. He's bigger than Sunday, period. It's a way of life. But if we begin with a family that's committed to a certain way of life and not defined, not creating a sense of identity out of the events that they host, then whether or not we have those events, we still have a people that have power that are connected to a purpose. Even if we don't have the events. And if 2020 should have showed us or revealed to us anything, it should be our evaluation that if our livelihood, our sense of identification, our sense of power and purpose solely rests upon our ability to program our events. And if we found that without our events, we lost our sense of people, power, and purpose, then maybe the prescription of more events was not the secret sauce all along. Maybe we have to actually consider the implications of the definitions that create all of what we give our attention to and what it is that we seek to govern our lives. And this is what Acts communicates. Start with a people that are family. Start with a people that have responded to the gospel and that are now given over to Jesus and one another and the cultivating of a certain way of life together. Start there. And don't just start there as a means to an end. But start there as the means and the end. Because when you give yourself to this means, I will get the end that I desire. When you give yourself to this way of life, I will get the people that I desire. When you give yourself to my recipe, to my prescription, then the product that this recipe, this prescription actually produces will be what it is that I am longing to see developed in the earth. We have to start with family. And we have to start with the people that are committed to Jesus and one another and that are actually committed to a way of life together. Again, the New Testament communicates 58 one another's. The idea or the implications is that you cannot live out with quality, power, and purpose. The idea of the New Testament without others, one another, because here is the place where we find our lives developed to be the witnesses that God desires. And when we start with family and we start with a way of life, um, we understand the seriousness of they devoted themselves daily to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Um, because again, it's got to be a certain type of teaching that creates our sense of fellowship. It's got to be a certain type of teaching. They committed themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's important. We're not even touching on that today. But they committed themselves to the apostles' teaching, and that created fellowship. And then they gave themselves to prayer together. And then they went house to house, sharing their meals and their possessions. This was a way of life that they were baptized into. It was a way of life that their response to the gospel immersed them in. This isn't just for extroverts. This isn't just for people that need community. 
It's not just for people that, well, man, um, you know, I'm not really with that family thing. It's not, I don't really like integrating other people into my life. You know, I, man, that's for you guys, that whole missional community thing, that whole life together thing. Uh, that's not really, it's not really my flavor. It's not really my preference. Nobody asked you if it was your preference. Acts didn't ask you if it was your preference. Acts 2 said, those who responded to God the right way, this is now what their life looked like. And because this is now what their life looked like, God produced a certain type of people out of that way of life. And it should be heartbreaking and staggering to us, right? Because again, depending on how we satisfy all of our efforts, meaning by what we build and the systems that we create and so on and so forth, eventually we have to look at the results. We have to look at the results. And just in a bigger picture way, our hearts should be broken at the results of what we said was the way for a whole generation now is producing. When our church evaluation and results are held up with the world, we're not seeing a lot of difference. We're not seeing a difference in the divorce rate. We're not seeing a difference in the perversion rate, um, meaning people that are given over to bondage with porn and lust and, and fornication and, and all of these things. And you know, listen, please, please do not start with the stuff of like religiosity and on and on. Um, the word is still the word. It is God's prescription for the loving boundaries of our life as we live it by the spirit in God. And the word is what has power. The word and what the word is communicating to us. And as we are being transformed by that word communicated to us, um, this is where power is. And this is not simple, just religiosity. There has to be an evaluation of what our results are when we hold up what we said was wisdom against the rest of the world. And the results are not that different. The results are not that different. Worldliness is increasing and being celebrated even within the church, even within the church, because we have people that are seeking to answer the demand or the desire of the crowds rather than being fully given over to the desire that God has. And we're endorsing, we're celebrating, we're promoting, we're marketing, even at times, worldliness, as if it's become like popular. Worldliness is becoming trendy. How far can we kind of straddle the line and stagger the line? How much of the world can we incorporate into what it is that we're doing, trying to be more relevant to satisfy the demands and the desires of the world and its system when the world and its system is not what we're trying to satisfy? It's God. It's God. And so there has to be a point where we ask ourselves, 
by what I am giving myself to, am I getting the results that God says I'm supposed to be getting? Because you can people chase, you can set your life up around entertainment and attraction, um, finances, so on and so forth. I'm, I'm not even talking about in a worldly frame of reference. I'm talking about from within the church, right? Th- this is a conversation of the people that God longs to see repopulate cities, regions, and nations. Not event centers, but the people that God is looking for. Jesus is coming back for a people. He's not coming back to attend our events. He's coming back for a people. And we have to evaluate the people that are actually being produced and the results, the results, the real results in real time. Not just the people who have a language like Ananias and Sapphira, but who on the inside are still bankrupt, corrupt. Not just the people who know the language. Not just the people who are kind of skirting around, hanging out on the fringes, trying to benefit and trying to look the, look the image and look the way. No, no, no. We have to evaluate the results. Um, because God has said, give yourself to a way of life and I'll get the results that I'm after. Um, And I get it. It's simple. And that's why it's offensive because man can't take credit for the idea of family. It belongs to God. Man can't take credit for the idea of family. And that's why it's, it's hostile. That's why we so radically oppose it because there's something in us that longs for glory by our effort and by the results. But when the results are according to the world system, oh, well, you've got bigger, better, more, whether it's people, crowds, applause, influence, finances, building size, when those are the ways that we're satisfying our efforts and that is our definition of success according to the results that those things are creating. But God's definition of results and success is a people that actually get produced. Paul said, I have this jealousy in Colossians 1 to present you mature, to present you mature before God on that day. Let me, let me say it this way. You're not bringing on that great day when we stand before Jesus, you're not bringing an order of service to him. You're not building, you're not bringing your building to him. You're not bringing any of those things, your programs. You're not bringing any of those things. What you're bringing is a people. And this was Paul's jealousy. This is what I bring to you, Lord. I bring you a people that look like you. This is what I gave my life to. A people that look like you. A people that were mature. Because this is what he wants. He wants a people. And there's a way that he has already communicated that this people gets developed and developed best. Let, let, us, let us bring evaluation where it needs to be brought. And man, I'm going to pray that God would put something in our hearts to have real grace that no matter how against the grain it may seem, 
because it's not popular, right? A way of life is not popular. Um, a day-by-day conviction is not popular. Um, the cultivation of a certain way of life with others is not popular. It's not trendy. It's not relevant. It doesn't satisfy all of those inherent worldly demands that we have. And I say worldly meaning they belong to the world. They belong to the world. The pride of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, all of these things, they belong to the world. And that's why we are so um, against them in our natural man. But I'm going to pray that God would give us grace to give ourselves to his way. Um, Because again, when we start with family, that family can host events and other things and, and on and on. Great. But without those things, because that family is not defined by those things, that family still has a people and power and purpose. And if 2020 and even into 2021, because again, the conversation is, as I know that things are opening back up, as things are opening back up, what are we rushing to? What are we seeking to do and build once again? What is our heart's desire? What are we calling the way? Right? Because if last year and into the first half of this year should have shown us anything, um, it's that our events can be taken from us in a moment. Um, our buildings can be shut down in a moment. But if building and events are shut down, do we still have a people? that are living in power, that are aligned with God's purpose. And if your own evaluation of that brings you to the point where you have to come to a conclusion that you don't like, then may God give grace in order to respond and rearrange. What must we do? May God give grace to respond and to rearrange. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.